Hey everybody, welcome back this week as we walk through the Word together. And as we walk out this truth, we discover that life is produced in us and also in other people. We are walking with one another, growing together to see the life of Christ continue to manifest and birth in us and then to see it spread outside of the walls of our houses and our church building. Hey guys, today we want to do something a little different. Uh, my, my thought in all this was like in honor of this really special holiday that I know all of you guys love that's coming up, Valentine's Day. Let's go Valentine's Day out here. Yeah, there's like three people clapping for Valentine's Day. You know? <laughs> Pressure's on for all of you who didn't get reservations and all the, no, 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 not at all. But man, it can feel like pressure sometimes. And I've been thinking about, you know, what we've been talking about each week for the past several weeks. It's just the reality of the relationship that we've been given in Christ, that we're a new creation in him. And he became sin who knew no sin that would become the righteousness of God, that like we, we became something brand new in him. And when you've got this perfect loving relationship from an all-powerful God, it transforms you. And so here's the reality, like God has made us a brand new creation. And then our responsibility in all these things is to move in that truth. Mm -hmm. That is our responsibility. And if you decide not to move in the truth that you are brand new, you will experience the negative consequence of what that means in your life. That's not what God wanted in your life. And he's invited each one of us to walk in the truth that we are a brand new creation. And our great hope when we sing the joy that we have in the King Jesus is he's made us one with him and he's invited us into this brand new life where we help reconcile the world to God. What a wonderful purpose to live for. And I just wanna remind you, if you don't know this is true, it's true for you, it's available for you and God has a very, very special purpose in your life. And I wanna tell you this, he loves you more than you could imagine. He just loves you and he's pleased with you. He loves you, man. And he died for you to make reconciliation with himself. That's wild. Lord, help us believe that. Come on, I, that's my prayer. Like, Lord, help me believe that. I really want to. I want to believe it. And so today we just want to have a discussion on relationship. And so I've asked John and Donna to uh, lead our conversation. I'm going to turn it to y'all. And let's, let's go get started. Is that cool? Thank let's you guys it. for joining us. Thanks for, for leading the way. Man, we're, we spent all day yesterday teaching a marriage conference, so this kind of matters to us, and, yeah. and uh, so we love this. So one of the reasons this matters to us, for those of you who have never heard our story, is that we almost lost our marriage. And um, when you're the pastor and the wife, and um, it's easy when you're pastoring, especially a larger church, to kind of play the game that everything's okay, and then go home and behind closed doors, you're not really who you are to your people. And we kind of got caught up in that, didn't we? Yeah, and sure. that is, that's not the way, um, you know, we're to live. We're supposed to be real with each other and ask each other to pray for one another. And we're supposed to realize that, you know, we live this life by grace and grace alone. And God healed our marriage, and he used some really cool things to do that. But when Jay and I were talking about doing this, I said, you know, sometimes we put up the older couples, like, how, how long have we been married? 43 years. Yeah, we've been married 43 years. Sometimes we put these older couples up, and, and, and people that are sitting out there, they go, well, but, you know... I'm just now dating, or I, I, how do they do that? I mean, it's almost like an impossibility thing to look to. And, and I said, Jay, your staff is so young. I think it would be beneficial to, your, to our family, because that's what we are. We're the family of God right here in this room, to our family, for us to, to hear from you guys and know that, you're, you, that these people up here are not playing a game. And that's not what we do at Midtown. And to just hear a little bit about what God's doing in their relationships and get to know each other and know that God is at work in this body, in this family. So um, that's just a little background of, of, of why we decided to do is that did I did it get it right, Jay? Okay, so the first thing I want everybody to do uh, that up here on, on the platform is just your name and um, how long did you date before you got married? and then how long you have been married. And so we're going to start down here. Okay. 
your quiz. Come on, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if you're right. Okay, okay. I'm always the one talking. I would love for you to talk this part. How about this? Okay, okay. Okay, how, how long did we date, right? So we dated six months. We were engaged a year. I would say that should have been flipped. Um, and then we'll celebrate 12 years in May. Yeah, come on. Yay! Okay, Kelly, your, your great yeah. other half is not here right now. No, he's, he's in Costa Rica. Yeah. But um, yeah, so we dated for a little over three years. And we have been married for almost 25 in April. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, Ryan and Jen. Yeah, Ryan and Jen. Uh, we dated for two and a half years. And we've been married for a little over seven years. Okay. Um, TC and Danielle. And we dated for a little over a year. And we've been married for 15 years. We never got engaged. Okay, so one of the things, get this, if you, if you take John and I out of the equation, just with these four couples up here, you have over 100 years of marriage. That's a lot of marriage, guys. That's a lot of years living under one roof as one in Christ. So we're going we're gonna to get some truths here right now. Um, okay, so this is one, when, when John and I, when we talked about this question, the question is, what attracted to your spouse initially besides his or her physical beauty? And John an goes, yeah, tell him what you said. Nothing. <laughs> that was it. I was like, thanks, well, babe. Well, well, she said, uh, she seemed to seem offended, and I said, well, you said when I initially met you, I watched you walk by me on the steps of a building at Baylor University and thought you were the hottest girl I'd ever seen. That was it. I mean, until yeah, I... Yeah, but there was something else well, that attracted you to me. after that... Okay. You said initially, no. I mean, do you want me to... Do you no, want me to no I don't want you to answer Okay, it. all right. I, I want to hear from these other guys. Okay, okay so, so Jay and Shannon, just... No, Jay. I would one. really agree with John, to be honest with you. A hundred percent. I mean, come on. I, I remember, like, seeing this girl from afar, and I was like, that is the prettiest girl I've ever seen. Oh. I have to know who that is. And I, ne I always, I never saw you. I didn't see her again for a couple years on campus. I wow. never saw her. And then until one day, she came to my house, and her sister was dating my roommate, and she comes over to my house, and I was like, oh, that's the <laughs> you're, at my, you're at my front door right now. What in the world? Like, luckiest day of my life. And uh, never stopped talking to her since. But um, I, when, when I thought about this question other than, like, in the moment, in that, yeah, uh, really what drew me to Shannon, if you know her, she's got this, like, amazing ability to, like, be a peaceful person. And... She's like gentle in nature and she's kind. Mm -hmm. And like when I sat with her, like it was totally opposite of who I was. And I was like, I admire you and you're so kind and you're so gentle. Like, please, can we just be friends? You know what I mean? Like that, that was what really drew me to Shannon was really the opposite of me. Just like very kind, a peaceful person, just a gentle personality. So I would say that. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Um, for Jay, I think it was, um, he was so joyful and he loved anybody we came in contact with. And that was opposite of a group in the North. So maybe that was part of me. I don't know. But I mean, we would go to Walmart and he would get caught talking to the lady, checking us out for 20 minutes. And I was like, who is this guy? He like genuinely loves people. So that like stood out to me for sure. It's just that joy. Hey, Kelly. Okay. Do we have that picture? I wanted to honor my husband. <laughs> that's, that's the reason I fell in love right there. <laughs> Farragut ID, and it's the real deal. So I wanted to honor him. He will probably not be happy about that. But um, I met him when I was a freshman. I started working with him when I was a sophomore. He was a senior. And I did think he was darling. Um, but I was, at the time... I was dating like a heathen, really, and I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but I will tell you the honest truth. When I processed this question, it was like my spirit and my soul had a knowing about him that didn't make sense in the physical nature, and like I said, I wasn't like 
super holy roller at the time, even though I loved the Lord. But my, my spirit woman knew this man cannot only be trusted to hold your hand, but he can treasure your heart. And so that's that was what drew me to him other than, you know, clearly good looks. <laughs> All right, this yeah, yeah, we're going here. Okay, please, do. please, please do. Okay, so uh, Ryan and I met uh, my sophomore year of college, junior year of college, and I was just not in a good headspace, like just not, I was genuinely unwell. And our first date, he like, the first time we met, he corrected my spelling. I was like <laughs> writing something on the board. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, c- come on, come on, come on out here in front of everyone. And I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of liked it, you know? <laughs> I kind of liked it. Uh, and then uh, if you know Ryan, he is, uh, he is the goofiest person I've ever met. Like in his truest form, we giggle harder. I giggle it at him. I giggle at him harder than I giggle at anyone, and it is uh, a gift. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say uh, I knew pretty quickly that she was a woman of substance. I dated a lot of people who were not people of substance at the time. And, uh, and then you were just really honest and open, like just completely. She wasn't like hiding the fact that she was in a hard place in that time. And that was just like really refreshing. Like I didn't have to think about, you know, what she was or wasn't going to tell me. She was just, I could, you know, I could just be with her and I knew. So I think that was the, the two things that stuck out. We're going in order. Um, (laughs) um, I'm just kidding. I love you. Um, I would say, first of all, when I think the way that TC loved the Lord, I didn't know a lot of people that loved the Lord the way he did. um, And that was incredible to me. But also he was like hilarious to me. Like our very first date, we were meeting because I didn't know him really. And so we met in a parking lot and I called him on my little flip phone and I said, like, you know, like, what kind of car are you going to be in? Like, how can I find you? And he was like, don't worry, you'll find me. And I pulled into the parking lot, and he was standing on top of his SUV, like, (laughs) fully on top of it. And I was like, oh, cool, okay. But then he just became, like, my best friend. So I would say he was a lot of fun, and he loved Jesus. So Yeah, so for for us, we were right out of a, uh, or for me personally, it was right into a season of life of, of me just kind of recentering my focus. And uh, so I was leading worship, and, um, and we got, I got this phone call. Um, not a phone call. It's not a phone call. It's a piece of paper with her phone number for me to call her um, that she was looking for a drummer. And so, um, and at the time, drums was like my obsession. That's what I thought I was going to do. So um, anyway, I was playing drums, and, and so I, I go. And at the time, Facebook was just starting out. It was just kind of the thing. So this was in 06. And so, uh, huh? Well, a little bit old, but not really. But anyway, so I go and I look at her, look her up on Facebook because I, I denied it first. So I was like, I called her. I was like, no, nah, I don't have time for this. Looked her up on Facebook and I said, I better make time for this. So, <laughs> and so, and that's exactly what happened. Um, but, but immediately for Danielle, um, man, I just saw her heart. And, uh, and really the Lord was, was bringing to uh, like just, just bringing us together as one really, really quickly. I mean, it was three weeks in, and we were like, we're, we're getting married. Um, and we just saw God marrying our ministries and the things we felt called to. So that really drew me. Okay, John, now you can give a very brief thing. Did y'all hear that? <laughs> this, this, is, this is the way our marriage works. She knows I'm a preacher. That very brief thing, that's a warning. Okay. No. And um, I'm going to hook it all together. Okay. Uh, you know, a lot of that depends, the answer to that question really depends upon where you're at in your spiritual life. Because, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, if Jesus is in the center of your life, you're looking for different things. And so that's one of the encouragements I know we'd, we'd give to you. If, man, if you're dating or you're, or you're looking for that, let, let it come from your passion for Jesus. And for me, I, I knew my, my life was Jesus, my calling was Jesus. And so she was beautiful, and she actually said she'd go out with me, which was astonishing to me. But um, on the very first day, you know, we sat and talked forever, and I realized a couple of things about her. Uh, one, she shared and challenged my passion for Jesus. And number two, she was broken. Um, you know, her family situation was the opposite of mine. It was horrible. And I remember thinking, if this woman who gets dropped off at Baylor University by her 
father who had never really been a part of her life for years with a $20 bill and everything was up to her. If she has Jesus at the center of her life, we can make it through almost anything together. So, I mean, really, the, the first night I was thinking that. So, it was her passion for Jesus and that she had worked through brokenness and still had Jesus at the center. And I fell in love with him simply because he loved Jesus. I mean, I thought you were cute too, but, well, thank you. but anyway... Here's the thing, okay, could you tell from each couple, like when they talked about each other, they got all excited and they felt good. See what they were doing, they were remembering. One of the key things we teach in marriage, in relationships, with your relationship with Jesus, when you feel like you're not in love with Jesus, it's because you're not remembering who he is and what he's done for you. And it's the same way in relationships, especially in marriage. Man, when you start talking about when you first met and, you know, what attracted you. You know, I, I could see it all over Jay and Chen and each couple because what it does is it honors them and it makes them remember and it makes you remember. So one of the things I think is the key thing in, that we teach in relationships and marriage is if you want your marriage to be revived, for your marriage to come alive, spend some time remembering. And that's what we just did. We spent time remembering. And I think that's just so important in, in marriage. Okay, so some of the questions that we're going to do, I'm just going to address it to each person. It doesn't mean that nobody else is going to answer, but just in the essence of time. Um, Ryan and Jen, we're going to start out with you. Okay, so what is share one thing that, that either Ryan does and Jen that, you know, or that you do that really strengthens your marriage? What is something that you routinely do that you go, we know when we do this, our marriage is strengthened? Yeah, I'll share something that we both kind of do. Well, clearly we wear a power color often, you know, black. It's good. Okay. That's, that's it. That's all I got. No, um, I... Uh, I think there's a really good question because there's a lot that I know that we do that strengthens our marriage, and there's probably 10 times as much that I've come to know that weakens our marriage. And, you know, it's kind of been this process for us, but the thing that sticks out for both of us as we were talking about this was uh, our willingness to be vulnerable with each other is like, like at the very peak for us. And I know this, this sounds like, like obvious, like, okay, you're in a marriage, you should speak to each other consistently, but like you, you realize how quickly life and busyness gets at you. And, and, and I'm, I'm naturally like a very introverted person. So uh, I make the mistake of assuming she reads my mind. She knows what I'm thinking. She knows the, relationship and the the prayers I've had she knows what I'm thinking she knows my expectations um and unless you know something's wildly off like I don't always feel the the need to share all that but I realize that's weakening our marriage by not sharing it so like we've been constantly going through this process and we're you know we've been together for nine years now and it's still this intentional like I I need to share this tiny little thing that happened to me today or, or what the Lord revealed to me today or something like that that honestly just radically changes the way that we interact and we feel connected to one another. So it, it's, it seems very simple, but I, I couldn't say anything above it. So. And I would say, are we allowed to eat you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. good. Um, so <laughs> as we were thinking about this, uh, the marker of, of moments like that in vulnerability, a lot of them have come when like one or both of us has felt really weak. Like in that moment, he reveals a lot of strength when we come together and we look to him. And I don't, I don't know how, how you learn or how you practice, but a lot of the way that I learn is by uh, hearing a real life story of what that looks like. Because I think it can be really like easy to say, I'm a vulnerable person. Like I shared this with you, you know, but um, if you are a learner from life, I want to share an example of what that looks like in our life. Um, And for those of you in this room who are not married, uh, I I still believe that this applies to you. Vulnerability, uh, sharing what uh, is going on in your mind and in your heart with a friend, with a parent, with a with a significant other, with someone that you're, it's, it's just good practice. Um, so for an example in our life yesterday, uh, we keep it fresh around here, y'all yesterday, uh, in our practice, uh, we're sitting at a, at a diner yesterday and we're having lunch. 
And as we're having lunch, um, our one-year-old, his name is Warren, he starts like choking, which if you have a one-year-old, that's, that's not really abnormal. That's how they learn. The, it's called a gag reflex. That's how they learn how to eat and chew and swallow. And I'm sitting there, and out of nowhere, I just feel like panic like took over my body. I was like, uh, my mouth went dry, you know, and like tears pricked my eyes, and my stomach dropped. And I was like, what is this happening? And then I realized I just like froze in that moment, and Ryan, you know, handled it. Warren was totally fine, but I just like shut down. Like my stomach was just like I mean, in the pits, I like couldn't even engage. I don't even think I remembered who was sitting at the table anymore. I was just so in my thoughts about what happened. And you might think that that is like super abnormal if you are a normal human. Uh, For me and the experiences that we've been in in the past month, um, hearing about uh, our daughter not having a heartbeat at a 17-week appointment, death feels really close to me right now, like really close. And so in my mind over the past like three weeks, everyone close to me is dying, which if you're sitting in this room, like I don't mean this in some like weird morbid way, this will come around. But like um, anytime Ryan left in a car, I was like, he's going to die, you know? And then I'm just like battling off this mental thing in my brain of like, uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I will take that thought captive. I will release it to you. God, you will replace it with a new thought and we will move forward. Okay. But every moment of every day, I'm doing this thing. Uh, The boys' school calls and I'm like, something happened at school. You're definitely dead, you know? And I don't, I don't mean that lightly. I just mean that is that's where my heart has been. That's where my head has been. And so in this moment, I have not shared any of that with Ryan. I'm just like battling day in and day out. I'm just like, I've got this. I can handle this. I'm totally cool. But the reality of it is when Ryan came home from work, I'm like toasted. I'm so tired from mentally battling. I don't want to share anything about what's going on in my heart. I'm pretty sad. And honestly, I'm just scared all the time. And I never shared any of it. And yesterday at lunch, I, <laughs> that morning, I'd been in Psalm 139. And it's just like, search me. And I'm like, search these anxious hearts and teach me about the way everlasting. Like, teach me about what is going on in here so that I can walk in a way that is everlasting. And as I'm processing that, I just felt this invitation to share with Ryan. And I was like, okay. So he brought it back to mind. I just looked across the table out of nowhere, and I was like, I'm afraid everyone around me is going to die. I know that's morbid. I can't get around it. And in that moment, he looked at me with so much compassion in my eyes. I think what I expected was like embarrassment or shame or like cast offness. And the reality of it is he looked at me and he was like, wow, I'm so sorry. That's really scary. And he just said, in the name of Jesus, fear be gone, you know, like, and he just like casts it out with such authority and such kindness and he prays. And in that moment, I realized like everything that I had been holding to myself and like battling in my mind, like how the enemy was coming to attack my mind was causing like separation in my oneness with my husband. Like it was like he came to distract and just like mess with what was going on here. And I think that happens in relationships. I think that happens in in marriages. I think that happens happens in families. Um, But there's so much power when you're willing to just be like, this is how the enemy is coming against me. Can you help me? Because I've been battling and I need help and it's causing separation and now I'm aware of it and I want to be close to you. So I want to just follow up with something that both of them said that I think is so important that we understand. Okay, first of all, Ryan, you said you have a hard time sometimes communicating. What you need to understand, guys, is communication is one of the five most important things your wife needs. And it is harder usually, unless you're gifted with gab, like my sweet husband, to communicate. But even then, I think there's that that willingness to be vulnerable is so important. The second thing that you said, Ryan, that's so important and that both of y'all did is you took time You set aside time to say, we're going to communicate. You said, Ryan, that sometimes life just happens and you get busy. I'm just going to tell you right now, any relationship that you don't give time to will eventually die, including your relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Any friend, I mean, you know, you can say, oh, I have this friend that I don't see her forever, and then we get together and we're there. Well, yeah, you're there, but there's still that you need to catch up. You need to know what's going on. So again, communication requires intentional time. And then one of the things that you said that I thought was so beautiful about your marriage is once you were honest with Ryan, he didn't cut you off. He understood and he listened and he didn't try and fix you immediately. 
He let you process. So guys, this is something that is so important in every relationship. Sometimes in relationships, we want to fix each other, but the only person that can really fix us is Jesus. You know, no matter what's going on in my heart, and I share it vulnerably with John, he can't fix me. Now, he might give me some suggestions, but guys, sometimes you want to fix your wife. Don't fix her. Sometimes the best thing, what do we do every morning and every night together? We pray over each other. We pray over each other. And, you know, sometimes it's a prayer of, Lord, I don't understand what's going on in Donna's heart, but you do. So just key in on those things. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next question, which is for Jay and Shannon. And here's the question. It says, share one honest struggle that you have faced and how either God has enabled you to overcome it or you are in the process of working through it. You want to you want to talk with this? Okay. Um, a lot of what you shared and what you just said, I think, is going to play back into what I'm going to say. I feel like I don't even know how to say this, man. It's hard to like express it. And it feels dangerous, you know. To be honest with you, it's scary. So, like the. Starting a marriage for me is like managing expectations. Like, I don't think I had the proper expectation of getting involved in a relationship. I really didn't. I know the right answers of the Bible. I just I have a different expectation for my marriage. Neither of us met each other's expectations, to be honest with you. Whatever we came in expecting didn't happen the way we thought it would. But then we go through this season. I'm going to tell you, like, for what? Like, it felt like two years of straight hell. Like, my work situation, I worked at a church that was hell. Like, it felt like I was in hell. And then I'd come home, and we were brand new parents, and my son was born with cleft palate, and some of y'all have experienced, like, deep, challenging things in your life, and it might not feel like it compares, and I understand. But, like, syringe feeding a baby and him throwing up out of his nose for weeks, and then just the torture that that kid went through. And then like the heartbreak of like watching your kids suffer. You're like, why God? Like I'm in hell. And then this, you know, and then on top of that, I join a flag football team with half of y'all and I tear my Achilles tendon in the middle of a game. And so I have to have surgery and I end up like on oxycodone at home while she's syringe feeding our newborn baby. Like what kind of hell have we entered into? And I really think, like, there, all of those things, like, I'm still processing. What, what year was that? Year Three. five, seven, seven? Yeah, nine. I don't even know. It was years of it. <laughs> and I still think, like, I'm in the process. Like, I think if we say we've overcome it, like, I I don't think so. We're being transformed by the renewing the way we think often, and I'm called out of the right thinking often, you know? And I'm calling myself back into right thinking often, all the time, as much as I can. I'm taking thoughts captive, just what Jen said, and I'm going, hold on. Shannon is your daughter. You love her, and I love her because you've loved me with unmerited favor. Help me extend what you're giving to me to her. And when I first started our relationship, I read 1 Corinthians 13, like, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way, and it's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And I use this as my checklist for myself and my wife. Mm. This is how she never measured up, because here's what she really needed to work on. She was being a little bit demanding of me. She must be in an unhealthy place. <laughs> so I could subtly help her understand her unhealthy place. The gift of gab, you know what I mean? I might understand. And I found out it never worked. And I wondered why until I really started contemplating this passage where First John says, God is love. This is who God is. But in reality, I saw this as a list from God to me. I never measured up, and he was always 
keeping score of me saying, well, Jay, you really need to be patient. You really should work on your kindness. You're getting a little jealous. You're being pretty boastful. It's just comes with the territory, you know? I mean, like, a more outgoing person, I feel, right? God was this taskmaster to me. And so I became a taskmaster of other people and myself. I never measured up to his standard, and I always felt bad about me. So I was taking it out on everybody else around me. So I realized, man, that like this is who God is. And when I started saying, man, God is so patient with me and he's kind. He's never jealous. He's never boastful or proud or rude. Doesn't demand his own way. That means he's like lovingly inviting me in with him. He's like, do you want to go with me? I got my hand out to you always. Like when I started understanding that this is God's essence, it began to begin to transform my internal dialogue that then transformed my internal dialogue toward my wife. And I just want to give her what he's giving to me. And I'm not looking for this thing to be satisfied in somebody else. He satisfied it for me and I'm just enjoying him. And then from my enjoyment with him and his presence, I just want to extend to my wife her experience of him through me. Like, I'm only here for you. Like, what am I here? And I'm saying like, I'm openly saying, I process this. I have not accomplished it. I am in process, and every day I call myself back into, God, you love me. <laughs> How amazing. Lord, help me be more amazed of that. And um, I am so thankful for Shannon in this journey, because here's what I feel like. Like, she gets unseen. Like, I stand up here, share the word. People are like, that's amazing. They don't understand, like, without this woman, like, I could never do anything, man. And she never, ever complains and never calls out for nothing. And so I just, like, Man, I honor this woman that sits next to me, and she's the greatest blessing in my life. And like, I, I mean, I feel like I owe like all of my life to this woman. Like, she has really been such a blessing to me. So, I just say, man, I'm in process, still am, and um, I think she is too. This conversation has been helpful and challenging as well. We're like, I don't want to talk about that. Shannon, do you want to add anything you to want, that? Yeah, please. I mean, it kind of it kind of goes along. I feel like when we walk through that season um, where maybe some stuff just came to the surface through when you get pressed, you know, things just come up. Um, I feel like the biggest thing the Lord told me was lean back. And um, where we lean back matters. Mm -hmm. And it can't be in him and it can't be in friends or family. Amen. I think, Again, just them being vulnerable and letting you see how, you know, open their hearts to see how they work through things. So many times in marriages when things are hard, we turn away from each other instead of turning to each other and communicating vulnerably. And um, answering these kind of questions, uh, I know you said this kind of helped you guys. And I think sometimes we need to, again, take that time and just say, What's really going on? What What is the, some of the things that have gone on in the last two years that has made us stronger? And, and uh, again, when you're open with each other and you're honest with each other and also honest with people around you to get people to pray over you, I think that is so huge. Okay, TC and Danielle, we're going next to you. And I, this question is a little bit different, but I think sometimes we don't think about this a lot because our culture doesn't it's such an opposite view. So here's the question. Okay, according to God's word, when you guys got married, you became one in his eyes, which is totally foreign to the world. How does being one practically work out in your marriage, but at the same time, how do you maintain your, your, your uniqueness even though you're one? Go for it. All right. <clears throat> so, you know, as I... As I process that question, I think I would answer both questions uh, with the same phrase of valuing one another. And I think, you know, like Jay, as you were talking about expectations, um, you know, we're, we meet each other at 19. Um, we get engaged at 19, married at 20. The expectations that we had for marriage were, you know, largely influenced by culture. And, you know, there was different cultures, um, and not necessarily good ones, but, but there was different cultures sometimes in the church that you grew up in versus what you see happening, and even today what happens in society. And I feel like there was one side that, that had the man as this domineering leader, 
and you know, and this, the, you know, the woman was this, you know, this stay-at-home wife, submissive, and she did all this, but the scale was like this. And then there was this pendulum swing in culture where, you know, we start to see things where the man is like the fool and he can't do anything, and, and the wife's up here and she's trying to figure out everything and, you know, and just, just take care of the kids and the family and all these things. And really what, what Jesus does is he brings us here and, and he brings us to this, this point of, of value where we understand the significance of both. And for us, as we begin to understand the love that Christ had for the church, and we begin to process this covenant all throughout Scripture, I think we begin to really understand what it meant to be one in our own marriage. And so for us to become one flesh was to begin to look at each other and see the value because again, when expectation comes in, what starts to happen is, is I look at Danielle and I'm like, well, you're not being this, this, and this. And we go to a word, we go to Ephesians 5 and we're like, you're not being submissive, you know? You know, and then she can come back to me. Yeah, well, you're not laying your life down for me either, you know? And I think what begins to happen is that we, when we hold people at this expectation and we value something that is, that is not necessarily Jesus and the other person, we start to value this one thing then we're always trying to pull that person to and change that person. And I'm a fixer, and I'm somebody that likes to come in, you know, kind of aggressive to the point, and let's get this problem fixed, and let's go. And, uh, and we found ourselves very early on in marriage trying to change each other and shape each other to expectation. And really, when we begin to, I think, really harmonize in our marriage was when we saw the value, when we saw the beauty um, of, of the other person and we quit trying to fix each other. I mean, I know you mentioned that too, but when we, when we stopped trying to fix the other person and we recognized that we were one in the fight and like the battle wasn't against each other and we argue a lot. Like she likes to argue, I like to win fights. And so we just, we, I mean, we like to battle it out, you know? Um, and, and, but, but what we started to realize in that um, was that the enemy was not the other person. That being one in Christ, we were going to now bind together to fight against the enemy. And when we started to have an attack of value or an attack of identity, or we started to have this kind of, you know, this argument like come up in our marriage, what the Lord started prompting in our hearts is to center us and say, how can I now come beside you as one flesh? How can we now come together? As, as one unit and then begin to attack the enemy together. And, uh, and we started winning fights that way together. And I believe that was one of the things that was like a pivotal shift in the way that we processed disagreement. Um, but it happened when I began to see that, you know what, man, she's, she's an equal part in this. And she has like her compassion, her gentleness, her, her mercy that she feels, her discernment. Like, those are all really, really sharp, and I need to pay attention and listen to her. And as she began to understand that I cared for her, and I didn't want to break her or change her, but I wanted to honor her in that, as that happened, then she began to serve me in that same way. And so, honestly, we still argue, and we still have a doubt. I mean, we we had, like, a raising voice argument today, but I'll tell you what quickly what quickly shut it down um, was us saying, hey, man, let's, let's go to Lord in prayer over this right now. And let's go, let's join as one and fight the enemy together. And so the second, how do we maintain the uniqueness of it, um, of, of, you know, our identities? It's valuing the other person. It's seeing what's so beautiful about Danielle that I want to honor and I want to protect. And uh, it caused us to have some, some job transitions in the past, um, it's caused us to, for me to see that like, like she's free spirited and she needs to be like not boxed in and it's just free to run, you know? When I begin to see that, um, you know, in the midst of my more strategic thinking, like she's more of a feeler, I'm more of a knower. But when we begin to see the beauty in each of those, it began to harmonize. And again, we could, we could protect that thing because we're not trying to change it. She's not trying to make me this free bird and I'm not trying to make her, you know, like a college professor. Like, we're just good, you know? And, uh, and so all that to say, um, man, she softened me so much. Um, I mean, I, like I was the most jagged rock in the world. And, uh, and, she, and I still am pretty rough around the edges, but she has polished me down uh, to the point that I can have a conversation with someone else and not make them cry. So, um, so such, 
So I, I just, I'm telling you, man, the, the most beautiful picture of grace that I've ever experienced in my life, and I told her this when we got engaged, but it was, it was her, you know? Like, I, I learned a whole lot about Jesus through her, and it, if it wasn't for Danielle, I really don't know where my relationship with the Lord would be. So, um, so yeah. Danielle, do you want to add anything? Um, I would just say when you step into value, like he was saying, what I experienced was like a deep trust that came with that value to where I don't want to make decisions alone. I don't want to go my own way because now I have a different perspective um, to kind of help me in my blind spots and things like that. And so it became more of like our differences, our uniqueness became a compliment instead of like a liability to our our relationship. And so I would just say that that deep trust um, really forms when you actually step into this person like the Lord gave to me. And even in our relationships in the church, like these are people that we have been surrounded with by the grace of God. And, um, and it's all for our sanctification, which is just a big word to say to make us look more like Jesus, you know. And so um, so when I did step into that, then I began to say, like, oh, it's not about me. And I really don't want it to be because I can really make a mess of it really quickly. So, um, yeah, I would say that trust really developed. And then from there, I was like, wait, I've got to STC, hold on. <laughs> that's, re- that's really good. So there's you have a famous saying when we teach our classes that what do you not want to be written on the tombstone of your marriage? I was right. Yeah. So I, I would say that too, you know, the feeling of saying I was right, if you have to live with that all the time, that will destroy your marriage. It will destroy any relationship and it will destroy a church. So just hearing you say, I value you and I see through another perspective, that's what we need to be doing as a body of Christ all the time. We need to be listening and we need to be valuing each other. Okay, Kelly, I've got a question for you. What is a practical thing that you do to encourage your sweet husband, Adam? Well, I married Captain Happy. (laughs) I'm serious. You can ask my kids, you will rarely find him without singing a silly song. He's just happy. He's content. God bless him. He married such a child. <laughs> um, but I, I think knowing him so well after this many years, I can kind of pick up on cues because I just know him. I've been a studier. I've been a learner of him. And um, those very rare moments when I can sense that he's really struggling Um, that's a time for me to pause and be like, okay, how can I enter in? Like, how can I assess a need that he doesn't even know he has and meet him there? And so sometimes it's just something simple like, hey, I, wow, I can really tell you might need some time. So I'm going to remove a responsibility and you need to go and grab a coffee with God or you need to go for a walk. I mean, just something very small and practical. It's not something extravagant. It's just like you just need a moment And typically that is exactly what his heart needs. But the other thing that is just seems so small is that I will enter into play with him um, because I just feel like laughter is really a good medicine. And so if if he can feel like, wow, she's entering in and I don't feel alone, it immediately lifts the atmosphere for him so that he can see through a different lens. You know, Kelly, one of the things I love what you were basically saying is I'm willing to help him. You're looking for ways to help him. And one of the things that our culture says is that helper is a bad thing. That helper is like this. It's under, it's beneath you. And according to God's word, God created me to be his helper. Now, you don't have to like that. But that's what God's word says. And so one of the great joys of my life is looking for ways like you said, to help. And I just, I think that's really cool because, I mean, we didn't rehearse this at all. And, and actually, that's one of the ways that God saved our marriage. Okay, so real quickly in the interest of time, just one of you answer this question. There's some people sitting out here that are engaged or they're dating or they're hoping to be engaged or dating someone soon. If you could tell somebody in that situation, one thing, what would you say? And TC and Danielle, one of y'all decide to answer and just you answer it first. What's one thing you would tell a couple? I just think just have fun, like follow Jesus and have fun and step into the adventure. Him being one of like my best friend has been 
one of the best things of my life, and I think it's helped us weather a lot of storms. So you probably have something better to say, but I'm like, just I, I just don't make sure they have fun. Oh, that's it. That's good. Is that us? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we also love to have a good time. And we would say, uh, find people that you love to have a good time with, that you're inspired by their marriage. Uh, like if you look to someone and you're like, I just, I don't, it was one thing, but I loved the way that you just spoke about your husband. Can we spend time together? Or like, oh, I just, I don't know. I like, I liked what I just saw you do with your life. And I, the fruit on your life is attractive to me because it looks like Jesus. And I kind of want to look like that. So could you have dinner with us? That's good. That's good. Kelly, what would you say? Oh man. I'm so fighting against this word, but I felt like the Lord really just deposited something in me today that I feel just really accountable to share. And that is for anyone, anyone, this applies to anyone, no matter if you have baggage with the idea of covenant or or if you're desiring to be engaged or if you've been married for 80 years. And that is don't trade your birthright for a bowl of soup Mm, or a bowl of stew. Don't be like Esau for a momentary pleasure of being right or sexual temptation or anger or frustration or belittlement, whatever it is. Don't trade your birthright. You are a child of the king. You are royalty, and you are also stewarding the heart. If they belong to the Lord, you are stewarding the hearts of a child of the king, like what you were talking about. And so I would just say, please contend for purity, contend for honor, contend for righteous living. Life is hard. Being a human is so hard. Mm, that's good. But he, as we are singing tonight, he is our hope. So contend for your birthright. Receive your full inheritance. Jay and Shannon. I would say, I can't say we had this in our dating engaged or even married until this team was in our life, but have people that want to fight for your marriage. Have friends that when you go through hard times and you get frustrated at each other, if I call these women, they're going to press me in and say, hey, you guys pray together and call me in the morning and tell me how it goes, so I know I have to do it. So like, have people that fight for your marriage and have those be the people you go to for advice. Okay, John, any just last closing thought as you've listened to all of this, that you, wisdom you would give us about marriage. Yeah, you know, I had several things I was thinking about saying and just kind of listening. Let I me mean, kind of summarize it this way. First of all, if you're not married and you're looking to get married, don't make it too complex um, when, you're, when you're deciding, is this God's person for me? God is not going to trick you about this, okay? And so Donna and I know, we, Donna knows, we, I share this a lot with young, with young people that are uh, kind of considering this. Um, and in this order, this is what you're looking for. Find somebody who challenges you spiritually like no other, okay? That's so far above everything else. If you don't find that, if that's not in that person, that's not the person for you. And then secondly, someone that is or can be your best friend, okay? Because that that is such so critical for an enduring relationship. And then third is someone that you're attracted to. It's not unimportant, but but let me tell you, you know, we joke about about it, but we all change. And, and you're not you're not going to look at each other when you're 80 years old if you're being honest and go, oh, you look exactly like you did when you were 20. And 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 so so the, the world says that's everything. That's everything. No, no. You find those three things, and you both agree you have those three things. You don't need to date for 15 years. Get married. God's God's led you to the person He has for you. All right. Now, but but when you are married, it's going to be hard. So, so what do you do um, to, to have an enduring, thriving marriage? You know, we, we almost lost ours, lost ours, and now we challenge each other spiritually. We're, we're best friends, and we're still attracted to each other and really enjoy being together, okay? And we have that after 43 years. How does that happen? Well, it started off when Jay's grandparents said, you guys are in trouble in your marriage, and uh, isn't that cool that it was Jay's, our pastor's grandparents, that counseled us and mentored us and helped save our marriage? Um, but we've learned a lot of things over the years, and I'm not going to try to teach um, our Valiant Marriage course. Some of you have been through that. We can do it again for y'all if you'd like. I actually want to share something I've never shared with any, anybody before because I, I saw it last night. And I'm still, I, I still want to do research on it, but I think, I just feel like I need to, to you need to hear this to end. Um, I, I saw this thing on Instagram, then I just a little bit of research, and I went, wow, how have I never heard this? It's a guy, I think his name is Winston, and um, uh, he lived this quiet life, but, um, 
But during World War II, he's a very elderly man now, during World War II, um, he, God gave him an opportunity, and he saw an opportunity to save Jewish children. And he saved the lives of 66 Jewish children, and nobody ever knew. Nobody ever knew. And one day his wife was going through the attic, and she found this box, and she opened it up, and there was a journal of his days of, of being, you know, in, in, involved with, with what Nazism was doing. And in that journal was the list of every one of these children whose lives he had saved, okay? And she took that, and she began to research it. And here's how it all ended up. End of the story is... Um, he, he, he and his wife went on a television show, but he didn't know what it was. He thought they were just going to, he's, his wife said, come with me on this thing. So they go to this television show and they're sitting there and he doesn't know the whole thing is about him. And he's sitting there and this woman beside him says, I'd like you to know something. He doesn't know who she is. He goes, uh, what? He goes, I was one of the children who you saved so many years ago. And I've had an incredible life because of you. And he's breaking up and crying. And then the person leading the television show says, if, if you are one that this man saved all those years ago, would you stand up? And the whole crowd stood up. They had found, all, as many as were still living, they had found them and brought them all together to say thank you to this one man. I just thought it was so cool, but I started thinking about it, and I thought, you know, uh, we, are, we lead a revival ministry. We, we are praying for revival. Revival means new life. If we don't have new life in this nation, we won't be a nation long. If we don't have new life in the church in America, then, then God's going to just let it continue to close out and dry up and go away. And if you don't have a rhythm of revival in your marriage, it won't thrive. So Hollywood tells you, you're there, so that person will make you happy. If it don't make you happy, go find somebody else, and it never works. Okay? And so what you need is a rhythm of revival in your marriage. And you, you know what that really looks like? It looks like what that man did. And God kind of, I think he gave me this. You know what he did? He did three things. He rejected narcissism. He, he said, you know what? It, it doesn't matter if nobody ever knows because it's not about me. And if you'll reject narcissism, that your marriage is not designed to make you happy. If you're going to put that on the person you're married to, then you're making them out to be Jesus and it'll never work. They are not designed to make you happy all the time, all right? So you reject narcissism. Number two, he embraced sacrificial Jesus love. I don't even, I don't know if he knows the Lord, but he lived like he did because he risked and sacrificed to save others. And that's what marriage is about. It's about taking risks, living a sacrificial life for someone else, not for me, and then, you know, the third thing he did, he was intentionally active. A lot of us in marriage, we're just passive. We just hope our spouse makes us happy and things go well and, and, we, and we have a pretty good life. That is not what it means to follow Jesus as a couple. You are a kingdom force. You are a joint ambassadorship of the creator of the universe. And, and yet we'll spend more time being good at golf than we do thinking about how to be a good husband or a good wife. And so that man was intentionally active and did what was right in front of him that could save a life. And if we'll do that in our marriages, I think, I think God will give us a rhythm of a revival. So you reject, you reject narcissism, you embrace sacrificial love, and then you're intentionally active to do what it takes to keep on dating and courting and loving the one God gave you so you're this incredible kingdom force. And then one day, you may never know it until heaven, but someday the Lord is going to say, hey, I want to show you some folks. Hey, all of you that were impacted by this marriage, would you stand up? It might be in heaven itself when you see how God used your marriage. Let that be what marriage is um, for you. It won't always be easy. It won't always be fun. But you'll be God's kingdom force, and that's, that's something worth giving your, your whole life to. Pastor. Jake. We thank John and Donna for just leaving. Thank you guys so much. And I just want to say what an honor it is just personally. I'm going to take a moment to say an honor to sit with you guys. It's like one of the joys of, I know I speak for Shannon as well, but like it's the greatest joy of our lives just to do life with y'all and then you guys as well. Like, thanks for being a part. And uh, man, if you guys are, I don't know, needing to speak with anybody about maybe your relationship, what it even looks like, I don't even know. It doesn't matter what stage or age you're at. Come talk to us. We just love to 
walk with you. And we get it. And I know you get it too. We're in it together. Before I finish and pray, I just want to, we're going to sing a song as we close. And you can go watch the Super Bowl if you want, whatever. <laughs> I don't even care who wins. The Cowboys weren't there, so who cares, you know? <laughs> Gosh, I know. I'm real down. But I was thinking about this passage because um, maybe, maybe you find yourself already, like you feel like you're too far down the line of all these mistakes that you made and there's like no coming back from it. And you're like, hey, yeah, I appreciate this conversation. You're about a couple years too late. You know what I mean? Or like maybe you're in the thick of it. You're like, bro, I've, I don't even know where to begin. And I came across this passage. I'm, I'm going to talk about it next week a little bit. But uh, I want to read this to you because I think it's so important. It's found in Romans 15. And uh, we, if we want to experience healing today, if that's what you need in your life, uh, you can have it right now. Like, you can have it right this second. You don't, you don't have to wait. It can be right this moment. But the scripture just says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. I love that. God of endurance and encouragement. Like, that's the essence of who God is. Do you know him like that? Is he encouraging you? Is he enduring with you? Because he is. That's who he is. Like, let him be him, you know? Uh, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, like so meshed up with him, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer for our church, is that as we sing these songs to Jesus, like it comes from such a place of deep experience with him, it is available to every single one of us, not just the pastors sitting on this stage. We are made to step into worship and come from a place of such honesty because we've experienced him. Like he's so near and he's calling each one of us in, but here's how. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And when we think about welcoming one another, Think about oftentimes it's like this, man. Hey, Brian, how's it going, man? You good? You good? It's a good day, man. Yeah, right? As Christ has welcomed you, welcome each other. And I guarantee you what that word welcome means, that word welcome means with arms stretched wide, the word welcome is to press in. It's to draw close. Come here, Ryan, stand up. With arms wide open. I press my brother in. It's the way Christ has pressed me in. And he opened his arms wide, no matter what Ryan has ever done in or to my life. It first starts like this for each one of us. And if you've got what you feel like maybe is weight or brokenness in your life, and you're looking for somebody in your life to do this to you, I wanna tell you, if you're looking and wondering where is God right now, God, you can see him right here on the cross, and this is what he did for you. Opened his arms wide for you. And he had to. And if you'll receive these arms wide open, you gotta see them here first. They're beaten and bloodied for you. He died to make you whole. He saw all your mistakes in marriage and he said, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm gonna pay the price for you. And he pays the price for you because he comes off the cross and he's alive today. And he's alive today and he's here with us in this room today. And his arms are stretched wide, different, resurrected from the dead. They got nail-scarred hands, but he's opened his arms to you. He said, come here, give me a hug. I want to meet you right where you are. I want to press you into me. And I want you to experience from the cross to like a hug. That's what he wants to do for you. And if you'll let him, he will meet you. His arms are wide open. Let him welcome you. Let him welcome you. He's calling you. He's calling you. Let him hug you. Let him welcome you. Let him. He wants to. He's the God of encouragement. He's the God of endurance. If you think it's too far down the line, it's not. If you, my marriage has failed, he's, his, arms are, his arms are like this. No, they're not. They're like this. He died for you. He loves you. His arms are open to you today. Receive him. Come to him right where you are, whatever the Lord's placed on your heart, wherever you, whatever you need, you tell him. Would you just close your eyes and have a moment with him? I'm gonna let this time be the time y'all can, can go on to your seat.
Right now, I ask that you would talk, just talk. Wherever stage you are, you can be thankful, you can be discouraged, it's okay, he's not afraid of any of it. I want you to speak to, to God, but I want you to know who he is. He's the God of encouragement and endurance. Talk to him and see him for what he is. He's welcoming you with open arms. Talk to him right there. Express your heart to him there. He's the God with open arms. He's there to encourage and he's enduring through everything. It's the God who loves you. He's calling you by name. It's the God who's brought you in this room. He's the God who's meeting you right where you are. He's not afraid of you. He's calling you. Thank you, Holy Spirit.